Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Call us now, 1-800-DEAD-BODIES. <laughs> <laughs> Nice things, nice things. Can I tell you what's very exciting? Are we on? Yes, we are. Oh, we're still <laughs> right. not on. Um, when uh, With most of our feedbacks now, whether they come via our email, deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com, on our Facebook page or, oh, I don't know about Twitter, um, people start it with, hi, girls, nice, nice things, things, nice, nice things. things. I love it. Nice thing. It's... I wasn't ready, so I need to unzip my thing to get my story out because I wasn't ready. Is that a pencil episode. case? What oh, have it's you got? my laptop case. Uh-huh. I've got my court things in it, so there's court forms coming out of it. That I... All sorts of things. Okay. Sounds important. Sound like I'm trying... I've only got lipstick in mine. <laughs> I'll just pop that so I sound... There, there it go. is. Perfect. Whew, close that up. Are you going or am I going? You're pretty keen. I can tell. Oh. Go. Should I? Okay. So I found this story that I really like this week because yes. I'd never heard of it before and it's a story about Neil Gordon Wilson. Don't don't know. Don't know it? Are you thinking I would know well, him? Well, I don't know. I thought maybe you might know it. Okay. So Neil Gordon Wilson liked to pretend. Why has he got two last names? I don't know. Do you want me to just call him Neil Wilson? Whatever you like. Okay. Just, just Neil. a question. Neil. We've said his full name several times. Okay. He liked to pretend to be a fish. Uh, all right. That was just his thing. Yep. Okay. So he liked to pretend to be a fish and the people in the town where his holiday house was, yes, they knew this and they knew he was weird, but it didn't faze them because he didn't hurt anyone. What sort of fishy things did he do? Well, he was a quiet man. And he was very gentle and he actually suffered uh, some brain damage after a motorbike accident in the 1970s. This mm-hmm. is in Victoria, by the way, mm-hmm. this story. He lives in lives in Victoria. Uh, he was placed on medication to control epilepsy, but according to his family, he would hardly ever take it. Right. Okay. So he had a holiday house in Tolondo. To Tolondo or Tolondo. I've looked it up. It's near Horsham. Okay. I need to actually say something. I thought this story was so far-fetched that it couldn't be true. And I had to look it up on several websites and it's true. To be sure. Yeah. I'm just really keen to know how, okay. what, how he was a fish. So the people in this town knew he was quirky, but they also knew he wouldn't hurt anyone. So they kind of just let him be. Um. They grew used to his uh, strange uh, uh, ways. Can I say something? Yeah. Not for this directly for this story, but oh. years ago, um, in gee, should I say the town? Yeah, I will. Yeah. In growing up in Frankston, so it was yep. my sort of going out to the pub on a Sunday night and dancing and all the rest of it. There was a guy there, and I won't say his name, but he was kind of the town. Oh, I'm trying to think of a decent word you don't to use. Say weirdo challenge, but yes. Yes, he was extraordinarily tall, yeah, um, and elongated face and all the rest of it, yeah. And we'd quirky. all be there, you know, he was quirky, yeah. And we we're all like, we'd been down the surf. We all thought we were really cool. We were dancing. We we're all flirting with each other, and he'd kind of be in the middle, oh. and everyone would stand back a bit and go, whoa, you know, he's dancing, and he'd dance all weirdly. But we all 
we're actually quite um, affectionate. It's too strong a word, but we're all we all kind of went, oh, it's it's him, you know, so and so, yeah, how he is, and he just was in there with all the cool gang. But the cool gang let him be there because I'm not saying I was cool, but you know what I mean. Because the, he was him, and everyone knew what he was like. That's right. He was never going to hurt anyone or anything. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same as Neil Gordon Wilson. Hang on, there's more to the story. Oh, sorry to interrupt, Neil, but I may as well finish it now that I've started it. Is he like so? You, he might be. Years later, I heard um, from a guy who was working at my house who actually lived next door to him and the whole family had all sorts of terrible issues. But anyway, um, I said, oh, yeah, you live next door to that family. Yeah. And uh, he, the the town challenged person, um, had used to go in and visit people in Frankston and because he was kind of, you know, lovable in a funny kind sure. of a way. People would let him into their homes. One old lady let him into her home. Oh, no. He raped her. <gasps> he Now, my the guy who was working at my house who knew my husband, he saw him standing in the back garden just standing under the washing line like staring into the middle distance. What he did to this old lady who he not only raped and robbed, he cut her legs off with a bow saw so that she couldn't run from uh, him. I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to laugh at this. Mm. This is another case of shit DD comes out with. Well, I've, and you're telling it as an interjection to my story. It could be its own story. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, I'm he, dead. I can't do this with you. You need to go home <laughs> and think about all the shit you know, right. and then you need to write it down and okay. think. This is a lot of years of so, stuff in a there. a weird guy that yes. you all hung out with and yes. accepted, thought he wouldn't hurt anyone, then years later he goes into a woman's, an elderly woman's home. Yep, she let rape- him in because he used to come in and do odd jobs and just visit no, people. I'm, su- and- I'm summarising. Yep. He rapes her, cuts her legs off. Yes. Stands in the backyard. Yes. Someone sees him. Yes. Where's she? Well, she died. Yeah, but where, where where's her body? Like, did he do something weird with her body? I don't know where her body is. No, no, no. I think the people next door said, look, he's standing in the back garden. He must have had blood all over him. And, and they so they reported it to the police and he went on trial and he's locked up. I think he's probably, you know. I can't stop looking at Kirsten because I'm just. Some sort of an institution. I don't know how you're just telling me this now. No, it was a long time ago. Now. It was in the 80s. And I clearly remember the last time I saw we him. We were on from the, the dance Victorian floor. era. The 80s is acceptable no, for Patella. This is the 80s. This was at the Pier Hotel. It was the last time I saw him dancing in there. Can you Google it? Yeah, I did like, is once. It, yeah, is the it, stories, yeah, it comes up. It's quite hard to find, but I'll give you the name. I don't, I feel like, all right, his name was John Housden, H-O-U-S-D-E-N. I feel it. like, so one of Melbourne's great crime writers, John Sylvester, I'm pretty sure he wrote oh, about him well, many years ago. the greatest. Yeah. Um, John Housden. Oh, gosh, it would be 1984, I feel like around about there. How do you spell it? H O U. S D E N. I'm just looking. There's a whole stack of other stuff with the family that I could tell you, but I won't because it's just too much. I did Mm. manage to track it down online once. Nothing's coming up, but my phone does a weird thing where it only returns. It is quite hard to find. I did. I I thought to myself, did I imagine all of that? No, it looked it up and found it. Um, How long are we going to wait while you Google? It's true. I don't know. I feel like we just need to start this episode again. I, I just don't know what's just happened. <laughs> no, no, Fishman, Neil oh, the Fish. Okay, well, let's go back to that. Sorry to hijack, story but yeah. Just set off that bomb. Anyway, Neil. Neil. Um, everyone thought he was weird. <laughs> yep. He doesn't rape anyone. 
No, but it, that's what and I was he saying. Doesn't cut We're all going. Legs off. He's not weird. No. Okay. So. In 1974, a tourist told a local police officer that he'd found Mr. Wilson, he was alive, uh, he's not dead yet, in the Tolondo Channel attached by a rope to a bridge railing. What? After the tourist pulled him naked from the water, Mr. Wilson explained he was pretending to be a fish at the end of a fishing line. I've nothing to say. I'll continue. I'm listening. Local resident Mr. Graham Bedford told police he remembered seeing Mr. Wilson near Long Grass in Tolundo. I'm really sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Swamplands in 1991. This is what Mr. Bedford said. He was totally naked except for a number of Coke cans tied to a piece of hay band around his chest like a bandido. He said, good day to me, and then started to get dressed. He said, most of the people who lived in town I can't say knew what he was like but after so many years of strange behavior Neil was accepted there was never any incident where Neil posed a danger to anyone that I know of what did he have coke what was he doing with the cokeheads? I don't know he was pretending to be a fish they were just tied around him I don't know why maybe he was like they were pretending to be um what are those scales I couldn't even catch a catch a fish at the fish farm so I don't really know fishing terminology <laughs> What are those things they use that look like fake fish that you attach to? A lure. To? A lure. Maybe he was pretending they were lures or something. Anyway, he was known to forage at the local tip. He'd hang items that he found at the tip in a tree at the front of his holiday house. But in November 1995, Mr. Wilson uh, made the journey from Melbourne to town, I can't say, when where he was expected to stay there for three weeks. But he was reported missing on November 27, so just days into his three-week stay. Yeah. Police went to his house and they found his medication from the number of pills that were left. They were able to work out that he'd stopped taking his medication more than a week ago. Ah. So just after 4pm on the same day, the police helicopter spotted the body of Mr. Wilson in an open paddock Aww. about a kilometre from the lake. Oh, poor fishy. Yeah. And they found him in a fish suit. Where would he, where did he get a fish suit from? So, police believe he'd spent at least four years developing prototypes of fish suits before he finally died wearing one. He photographed himself in an early version of the fish suit. Have you got a picture? There's pictures online. We'll put them on our social media. What? I'm going to do on the what you do to me. Of the local lake a year before his death. Around the same time, duck hunters found a green plastic bodysuit on the edge of the lake. We knew it was Neil's because it was in one of the spots he used to go regularly and there were items of clothing around it. Neil seemed to avoid people and go about his business. It was not un uncommon for Neil to run and hide on the approach of anyone. I know that he didn't have any close friends. So this senior constable, Kerry Allen, um, pieced together what he thought had happened that day. He believed that Mr. Wilson spent hours in the garage of the Holiday House fashioning versions of the fish suit using plastic he'd recovered from the tip. Included, it's like Silence of the Lambs but not as bad. Yeah, including a vinyl queen-sized waterbed mattress and a brown vinyl mattress protector. He'd sewn all these things together. Police found a sewing machine and plastic cutoffs from the fish suit in the double garage of his holiday home, as well as an identical spare fish suit. Do you reckon they knew 
all of this when they found the stuff? Or did they piece it together I later? Think they, no, they pieced it together. <gasps> so the same senior constable said that they believe on about November 20, he placed the bodysuit and other items into a wheelbarrow and walked more than 100 metres north into the paddock opposite the holiday house. He said Miss, Mr. Wilson then covered himself with soap and water from a container so that he could slip into the tight-fitting suit. He could just get it on. And then Is that he how used, they do it? Must be. So I watched um, uh, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And you went and- to high school with someone on it and they were murdered. And you're just going to tell no, us now. No, Eric okay. Dane, who's one of the girls on it, was wearing a latex top, like, oh, like super, a- super tight, yeah, and I think they had to grease her up to yeah. get it on. See, it would be gross though, yeah. marinating. Um, he then used a padlock and wire to pull up the back zip of the bodysuit. It would seem, this is from the senior constable. You're making this up. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I've, no, I've che- it's been on several websites. I cross-checked on several websites. Tell me if I'm wrong. It would seem that Wilson, this is the police officer, then hopped 52 metres back south. So he's put the suit, he's gone to the edge of the lake, he's put the suit on. Yep. For some reason something's gone wrong and because it's a fish, he's had to hop. He's tried to head back home. Well, fish hopped... don't have feet, so. Yeah. Wow. It's just a tail. So it's like a mermaid, I'm guessing. He's had to hop 52 metres back south and he collapsed. The suit contained two vinyl layers separated by carpet underlay to act as insulation, four zips, a padlock, mittens, a headpiece with eye holes and a mermaid-type tail made of a tyre in a tube. It was carefully double-stitched and waterproofed. Detective Sergeant Graham Arthur, who oversaw the investigation for the Homicide Squad, said it was probably the most bizarre case we have ever seen. Uh, they put forward. Um, are you glad that they said that? I am, because otherwise it means that there's bizarre than that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It sets the line. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Senior Constable Allen put forward a likely cause of death, the combination of lack of food, lack of medication and the exertion of hopping about in the suit brought on a seizure and a subsequent loss of consciousness. Caught in an open paddock and unable to move, he would have likely have died from heat. Oh, poor Neil. So he's in a fish suit. Neil didn't know he wasn't a fish. He didn't know. Oh, poor coroner. found there was no evidence that Mr. Wilson took his own life. While a cause of death could not officially be found, there were no signs of foul play and they have officially closed the court file without getting close to finding why Wilson chose to hop about in a vinyl fish suit in a deserted paddock near his holiday home. Oh, my goodness. That is very strange. But the the human brain does some strange things, doesn't it? Well, I, I just feel like if he wanted to be a fish and he wasn't hurting anyone, then he should be a fish. But what was his brain telling him? I don't know, but a lot of the headlines said fish out of water. So my husband and I years ago uh, were at a laundrette. When, this is when we were too young and we didn't have our own washing machine. And a lady came in to do her washing and we were trying not to be, you know, you try not to be rude and look at other people's washing. Yes. But we couldn't, you know, we did. Oh, I do that like in the supermarket when you look at what people are buying. Yes, mm. and judge it. Like, yeah. Why do you need three bottles of Coke? Surely one would do you. Yeah. Um, and the lady, actually the first thing I noticed was that she was wearing a hat but peeking out from under the hat was 
a bathing cap, a rubber bathing cap, you know, the old-fashioned like Yeah. And she was wearing a coat, but I could see um, like a rubber garden hose around her neck under the coat. And then we looked at the things she was putting into the washing machine and they were all rubber things. There was thongs, there were rubber gloves, there were pieces of rubber fabric. She was just not well. She wasn't well. That's well, a fetish situation. Do you think? I see lots of people like that around the courts. Just in, people that aren't in, well. In trouble? On, well. Just hanging around, not well. I got I got chased by an unwell person yesterday in the I, city in the middle of the day. There is a homeless man in the city and he's possibly my favourite homeless man because while this has nothing to do with dead people, while the packs of people in suits, including myself, are rushing off to big buildings, yeah. he stands on the corner and he yells out, I'm going to move away from the microphone, this is what he yells out, he yeah. goes, good morning, selfish people, oh. <laughs> good morning, everyone, oh, good morning, all the selfish people, because no one stops and looks at him. Oh. Yeah. I do. Well, that's funny because the morning. guy that chased me yesterday, so I'd been at a charity lunch and I was walking back down from Collins Street down <laughs> to Flinders you. Street, two blocks. He did. And I, as I'm walking and I had to catch a train, I wanted to be on a particular train, I hear this voice behind me going, will you slow down? <laughs> Don't try and get away from me. Oh, no. I'm catching up to you. Oh, no. And it was getting closer and closer and it was it kept going and then I sort of became aware that it was directed, directed at, at me and I looked up and I could see a couple of cop cars parked on the street. Okay. So get I was to starting safety. to get think to like that. I was starting to think if something goes wrong here, who, yeah. who or what do I? Yeah. Yes. Good and, social um, awareness. Yeah, he said, I'm catching you. Don't <gasps> keep moving, uh, which I did. Move, 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 move. And then I tur- I could. he was right just on my <gasps> shoulder. So I turned around and he was like, terrible looking and red eyes and, oh. and grey skin. He said, I just wanted to say, nice boots. And I, I thought you were going to say something else. I didn't think you were going to say I boots. I think and he said boots. And what did you say? Thank you. Uh, I said, well, I didn't think you were talking to me because I don't know you. And I, in, yeah. in that voice, I oh. don't know you, oh. superior lady. I get a lot I walked of. Off. Well, I just thought, uh, it don't frighten me. I felt like oh. saying you know, sweary bear well, at him, but I thought it won't swear at to him. Be ve- I've learned to be very nice. So I find it's worse in summer around the courts and they, you know, you can kind of pick them there. For some reason, always doing karate in the middle of the day on the side of the street, oh, you yeah, know, you yeah. see them and you pull a camera out and they just like, they come over. What are you doing? What are you reporting on? And you're like, oh, no, oh, no. And I, I'm always very nice. So I say, oh, I'm just doing a story about a murder. Oh, no, who's done that? And then you're like, oh, gosh. They want to know everything. Yeah, I try to talk to you for a long time. I try to be nice. Because you're a nice lady Because I, I don't want to be dead. The good thing is they may not even know who you are. They may not even or they go, watch TV at night. Or they go, oh, do you wait for Channel 7? I only watch Channel 9. Why do people always do that? They always do that. I get they that from people with the radio it. thing. Oh, really? You're on 3AW? Yeah, I don't listen to 3AW. I listen to 3LO. Oh, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my story tonight. That's so weird. Sorry, fish, fish. man. It makes me sad. I just was looking up because I feel like our listeners perhaps want to hear stories about in, that happened in Australia. I don't yeah. know. Do they? Possibly. Yeah. Well, and that's the story I found. I'd never heard it before. I think I, I hope – 
I think, I think even though he died. I think I just rubbed my nose in a really gross noise, went into the microphone. <laughs> like a snort or a, like a whistle? A, just like it sounded like I had whistle? boogers in there, sorry. Did you ever get a nose whistle? So I, just, I just, I rubbed my nose because it was itchy. <laughs> I thought, oh, the mic would have picked that up. Oh, sorry. Um, I hope that he had a happy life. Because even though, you know, it's unusual to us for someone to think they're a fish, he Why might have been quite happy in his own little world. Do you think maybe he needs to get the suit off and he couldn't get it off, so he's trying to hop back home to get it off? I don't know. But mm. I would like to be a fish too. But okay. with the, I would like to be able to breathe underwater because yes. I'm scared of that. Uh, I am te- in, uh, telling you a very Melbourne story too oh. today. You may remember this one. I'm not sure. Um, this is about a woman called Maria Corp. Oh, I do. Otherwise known as the body in the boot. Yes. Do you remember it? Yes. Mm. Uh, I just want to credit that I read a number of articles in The Age and The Herald Sun, both Melbourne publications, The Women's Weekly and Marie Claire magazine. The Women's Weekly in particular had an interview with one of the players in this story uh, when they were in jail. Maria, I hope I'm going to say this correctly, de Guar. De, de, G-O-I-S, de Gua? D-O. She was born in Portugal. Would that be de Gua? Yeah. Oh. De, de Goy. Let's say de Goy. Maria de Goy, born in Portugal, 1955. She was married and she had a daughter and was a very Australian daughter. Murder. <laughs> had a daughter. <laughs> it's Pardon the, me. It's the word. It's Pardon the only me. way I know that sounds Did I like really. Did just hear an accent? Yeah, because that's the only one I'm going to do now that sounds Aussie. <laughs> Murder. <laughs> Most foul. <laughs> yeah. uh, she was widowed. She moved to Australia where she met a man by the name of Joe Corp. Mm. And Joe at the time was married to a woman named Leone. They had two children. Joe dumped Leone and he married Maria. Okay. They worked together at South Pacific Tyres, where he was her supervisor. But their marriage at the time this all happened, um, their marriage was in trouble. Maria had actually taken out a restraining order against Joe. Uh, and there may have been some money troubles too. Remember, there were always lots of shots of their house. The house was worth about a million bucks, which is, at the time was a lot. Yes. And he was apparently in about a half a million debt from living beyond his means. Mm. And he was having an affair with a woman named Tanya Herman. Oh, Sound familiar? He has a wife. He meets her. They get together. Now he's having an affair. That's right. Right. So Tanya had been married to a man named John Linton back in 1987, but that only lasted five months. She then met a Colombian student when she was 21. They had a daughter together, but he walked out and married someone else. And then in 1996, uh, she married Paul Herman, who was a charter boat operator in, in Queensland. They also had a daughter. And they all went to live in Tanya's hometown, which was Echuca. Uh, she says, though, that he was a heavy drinker. He became violent. They split up and he died of a heart attack. Then she was diagnosed with cancer. She underwent chemo and radiation for months. So pretty much she had a rough trot up until then. Right. She was looking for love and she went looking online and she clicked on the profile of a guy called Joe Bonte. That's the name that Joe Corp was using at the time. He called himself a single self-employed builder. Why? Uh, and they hit it off online. He went up to Echuca. They drove to the river and had sex in his car. Is that what young people do? Is that what goes on these days? What do you mean these days? Well, people well, have been always doing that since cars were... What do you mean? That is not a 2018 thing. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> 
so after this, uh, he visited regularly. He hired a car on at least seven different occasions to make the trip to Echuca and they made plans for their new life together. They talked of marriage and he, uh, Tanya said that he complained constantly of his unhappy marriage to Maria. He, but he said he couldn't leave her because she had something incriminating on him. But she didn't know what? No, he, he didn't know what, but he, uh, well, he, no, he knew what. He didn't tell Tanya what it was, but he said, Maria, I can't leave Maria because she's got something on me. As, but, can I be Tanya for a second? Yeah. I'd be like, I'm going to burn all your worldly possessions unless you tell me what the incriminating thing is. I would want to know too. And I've like, held, Nicholas is a real shoe person. I've held lighters underneath his shoe before and been like, you, you just you didn't tell me the whole what story. What does he do? Does he? He's like, put it down, put it down, put it down. Okay, I'll tell you. I'm like, as if you weren't going to tell me to start off with. Anyway, sorry. I'm really I mean could, to that man. I could fall in love with him. Sorry. The shoe man, that's good. I mean, you know, yeah. obviously I've got good boots. Yeah. <laughs> they were good boots too. I have to say, for, for a guy who was like half off his nut on, whatever he was off his nut on. He knew good boots. He knew good boots. They yeah. were. Yeah. They were. I won't name job, but they were. Okay. They, and well spotted, buddy. Uh, so Joe asked Tanya to move closer to him. So she did. She even sent, this is just creepy, I think. She sent her youngest daughter to the same school as Joe Corp's son. Oh. Like, so, so the mistress is down, living close to him now. He's still right. married. And she's now sending her child to the same, same school, school as his. And even listed Joe as the emergency contact for her child. Oh. How's uh, the staff at the school going? I know. Reading these forms. Well, they would have all known. There would yeah. have been, uh, honestly, everything go, things go around the schoolyard very quickly. Oh, I do know his. Uh, have I told that story about tenure? when I worked in a cafe in Glen Waverley? No. How, what happened? Oh, so I worked in a cafe in Glen Waverley when I was maybe. How many jobs have you had? I know. This was before the strip club. Right. Um, and there was this couple that used to come in and they would have coffee and blah, blah, blah. And there was another couple that used to come in and they would have coffee, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then on some Sunday afternoons, the man from one of those couples and the woman what? from another one, from the other couple used to come in and they used to sit at table 30. I remember it's table 30 because it's the one in the corner that you can't, no one can see you from the front of the cafe at that table. Yeah. And they used to order one slice of cake. And they'd feed it to each other. How stupid that they didn't think that their we all obviously partners knew, would but... come in. But if that's their regular cafe, yeah. Do you know what I love? I love it when I, I'm at the park and there's no one around because I walk the dog at the park every day. And sometimes you see two cars parked together, mm. and I always think, how stupid are you two? Yeah, like at least, at least go at opposite ends. Park of the a car little further park. away. We I can, should have I can blackmailed tell what's going that on. couple. Twenty Probably. grand, or I tell you, tell your hubby. Yeah. Mm, I wasn't that smart. I just thought it was really scandalous and yeah. I used to do a weird face when I put the cake down on the table. There but you go. You're rich and famous. You wouldn't be doing this podcast. Do you want two these? forks so or just glad. one? Just one. Okay. Did they I'll only use the one fork? One yeah, they used to feed it to each other. That makes – oh. Yeah. Not, it's not the sharing of the fork. It's just the whole lovey-dovey, you know. It was like all go, over each other. Intertwine our arms and lick a fucking ice cream together. Yeah. You make me sick with your love. Let's go for a skip along the beach. And we'd go, we'd all go back behind the counter. They'd be like, what did they order? Just one piece of cake. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it out. You take it out. I'll take it out. Okay, I'll take it out. Uh, Joe and Tanya made plans to kill Maria Corp. Oh. They had a couple of different ideas. They discussed running her over. Uh, they thought about staging a burglary during which he would bash her to death. 
On Wednesday, the 9th of February, 2005, Joe reckons that he kissed Maria goodbye in the morning and he went to work about 6.30. She was supposed to leave soon after him. She worked at the Kaiser Hosiery Factory in Coolaroo. But when she got to the garage, waiting for her was Tanya Herman, oh, Joe no. Corp's lover. Femme fatale. Uh, now, Tanya spoke to the Women's Weekly many years later when she was in jail, and, and this is her now saying what happened next. She said she crouched in the garage, and when Maria came in, she wrapped a bag strap around her neck. She pulled it and tried to strangle her. She said that Joe had told her, don't let the bitch come out of here alive. You've got to get rid of her for me. I want her strangled. I want her dead. And she says, I knew what I was doing and I was shaking the whole time. I just put it around her neck. So after a bit of a struggle, Maria fell to the ground, um, lifeless apparently. Tanya picked her up, put her in the car boot and she says she drove off crying and just drove and drove and she was crying. And the next thing she knew she was in the city. Can I interject? Yeah. It takes a really long time to strangle someone to death and I know that from being in court. I could take two to three minutes. That's a long time. Is it? Absolutely. I thought you were going to say longer than that. No, I think two to three minutes to actually hold someone or something around someone's neck and with enough pressure that it yeah. kills them. That's a long time. That's, think about it. How long is the average song? Two minutes? Three. It's, it's three? Well, there you go. It's a whole song yeah. of killing it's lot, someone. It's a, lot, it's a long time to actually think, I don't want to do this and stop doing it yeah, well, at some point. Yeah, well, she doing it, didn't she? Yeah. Uh, so she put the body in the boot, uh, drove off crying, found herself in the city. She said later that she could actually hear Maria breathing in oh, the boot. Oh, she wasn't dead. Like trying to gasp for breath. She parked the red Mazda 626 near the Shrine of Remembrance, uh, oh. Dallas Books Drive, for those in Melbourne, in King's Domain, yep. in Melbourne, and she walked away. Now, by this stage, many people were concerned for Maria. The alarm had been raised. She hadn't turned up for work. She hadn't picked up her son from school as usual. Her family were worried and police made a public appeal for help, which I remember reporting on at Mm. the time. Um, They gave a detailed description of Maria and of her car and that was all over the papers and on the TV news everywhere. On Sunday, February the 13th, this is four days later, a security guard reported seeing the car to police. It was still in that same position. Which is right near the tan, I think, yeah. if everyone knows the, the famous yeah. tan running track. So you'd think that it would have been seen earlier than four days. But you don't necessarily look at every car and you wouldn't think yeah, of it as being true. there because people knew that she'd gone missing from Mickleham. Right. You wouldn't be looking in the city. Yeah. yeah, and people are jogging and doing their thing and there's other cars parked. Yeah. Um, this bit, uh, this blew me away, actually. This is um, a police officer by the name of Narelle Fraser. Now, she talked many years later about what happened, and I'll tell you why in a tick. Um, She attended the scene, she opened the boot, and she found what she thought was a dead body inside. And what she did next is so surprising. She said that instinct made her put her hand on the woman's chest and she felt a movement. So she realised Maria was still alive, so she climbed into the boot to embrace her. This um, Norelle was a police officer for 27 years. She, uh, This particular case and others led to her being diagnosed with PTSD. So she, she spoke about that um, just sort of to raise awareness of PTSD and policing and to, and to reduce the stigma felt by other police officers. Um, she said, 
I felt it move the tiniest bit. She was breathing. I couldn't believe it. I started screaming. She's alive. She's alive. Call an ambulance. I just wanted to wrap my arms around her. I wanted to hold her and tell her that she was safe now and that no one would ever hurt her again. People might find it odd that I got in to see this woman so helpless, uh, but to see this woman so helpless, so alone and in such a confronting state was heartbreaking. So um, Narelle stayed in the boot holding Marie's hand until the ambulance came. She said, I kept saying to her that it was going to be okay. She was safe. I don't think she heard me. Who knows? I hope in her subconscious she knew someone was there who cared. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. Incredible. And to be brutal about the situation, Mm. someone sitting in a boot for four days and then opening the boot, it would have been a horrific sight and probably a very overwhelming Sight yeah. to be able to just be so selfless is incredible. Amazing, just amazing. Thank you for your service, Narelle. Um, Maria was taken to the Alfred Hospital, which was not far away. She was found to have suffered oxygen starvation to the brain, head injuries, and severe dehydration. She went into a medically induced coma and was placed on life support. When the doctors first looked at her, they thought she wouldn't live more than 24 hours. Her daughter, Laura, stayed at her bedside and the medical staff told her that her mother had brain damage. But Laura refused to give up hope that Maria would recover. A week later, Maria's condition was upgraded to stable, but she was still in a coma. Now, Joe Corp wasn't allowed to visit Maria because of that intervention order she'd taken out against him. In fact, the order had been lifted the day she, uh, the day before she went missing, but the cops had it reinstated so that he wouldn't be able to oh, go into the okay. um, uh, into the hospital. They had it reinstated on the night the body was found. He said, "God, he sounds like such a self-interested pig." Go ahead. Uh, he said, "I'm gutted. I'm absolutely gutted. Mm. All I want is for my wife to come for, come home and for us to live like a family." They always say lie. that, don't they? They always say that. Yeah. So by this stage, the media were all over the story. February 15, it was revealed that photos of Maria were listed on an internet swingers site. That was the same place where Joe had met Tanya eight months before, and the ad said, "Happily married couple looking to have fun with another lady or couples." The corpse ha- apparently had joined the site 10 days before Maria disappeared and it was last accessed on the day that she vanished. Maria was actually a really devout Catholic and her family say that they could absolutely doubt that she would have gone in for anything like that. Right. If she had agreed to it, then it would have been only in some last-ditch attempt to save the marriage, but they honestly don't believe that she was part of that whole ad that was on there. Um and the other theory was that perhaps that posting was put up there to raise the possibility that perhaps she'd met someone on the internet right. and that they had done this to her. So 16th of February 2005, three days after Maria was found, Joe Corp and Tanya Herman were charged with her attempted murder, conspiracy to murder and intentionally causing serious injury. Both appeared in the Melbourne Magistrates Court the next day, were remanded in custody. Uh, Victoria's public advocate, Julian Gardner, was appointed as Maria's legal guardian. On June the 8th, so a few months later, Tanya Herman pleaded guilty to the attempted murder of Maria Corp. And she was sentenced to 12 years jail with a non-parole period of nine years. Well, what year well, was this? Uh, 19, no, 2005, I think it was. Mm, yeah, she could be out by now. Hmm. Yep, stops giving to the end of my story before I get there. Oh, sorry. Uh, water, water brain, sorry. That's right. 
Uh, I interrupted yours. It's true. While she was locked up, Joe sent her letters. One of them said, To my dear love, I love you. There is a way for us. Do you want it? Oh, yeah, because he knows that he, when he gets out, who's going to want mm. him? He pleaded not guilty on all charges and was later released on bail. <gasps> go figure. And committed to stand trial. Why was he out on bail? I know. Go figure. All his charges? Uh, attempted murder. Who conspiracy gets bail to murder? on attempted murder? Hmm. No one gets bail on attempted murder. I wonder if it was murder. because. I wonder if it was because they perhaps thought he's not likely to kill another person. Could interfere with witnesses, though. Yeah, it could do. The following month, uh, 26th of July, medical treatment for Maria Corp. So she was being artificially um, fed and, and uh, kept you know, hydrated, that was stopped. So her condition had been mm. declining. Medical staff could no longer stabilise her. The treating team told her advocate that her condition was terminal. Anti-euthanasia campaigners, I didn't say that very well, anti-euthanasia campaigners, they were holding protests outside the hospital. They said it was inhumane to stop artificially feeding her. Now, at this point, Joe, who's still, it's all about him, mm. Joe said that he would fight in the courts at any attempt to withdraw medical treatment. So he was insisting that she be kept alive. Yeah, because otherwise his charge goes from attempted murder to murder. I suspect that's what it was. But he was doing that. Oh, I love her. I don't want her to die thing. Fucking lie. Um, he applied for a bail modification so that he could visit her in hospital. And it was granted. So he was allowed to see her. Hang on. I think there's a bit of method to the police madness here. Right. Police let him go in and see her. They supervised the visit. As soon as he got the permission to see her... He withdrew his attempt to stop the life support being switched off. So they obviously had done some sort of a deal. Right. I think we'll let you see her, but stop trying to keep her stop alive. This. So Maria Corp died at two in the morning on the fifth of August two thousand five for no apparent reason. I remember that's the day that Marilyn Monroe died in nineteen sixty two, oh. August the fifth. Um, Maria's funeral and cremation was held on Friday the 12th of August 2005. It was almost six months to the day after she had been found. Joe Corp was forbidden to attend by family. So on the same day that Maria's service was being held, he invited the media to a private funeral ceremony at his home. He sang Unchained Melody. He sang Lady in Red. He sang. He sang. Later that night... He contacted his first wife and then a newspaper journalist and he told them both that he was going to hang himself in his garage. Both those people contacted the police. Police rushed to the house and they found Joe Corp standing on a ladder with a noose around his neck, talking on a mobile phone. Apparently he was talking to his solicitor at the time. Can I just say interject. You remember what happens now, don't you? I just want to interject quickly. Do I always worry about people getting bail because they might kill themselves. Yeah. And it's not ever because I'm worried about that person because that person's normally done an awful thing, but I just think for the interest of justice, yeah. they should be kept in the big house so they can't just yeah. use a yeah. literally get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, probably in this case, if you were the judge, it would have been a better thing. Um, according to the police report, he was looking at – police out the window of the garage and the ladder tipped over. They think he might have been trying to get his footing. They've never been absolutely sure whether he deliberately let the ladder drop or whether he fell. I reckon he's so self-absorbed that he was only doing it for the attention. I think he accidentally did, did it, it, but that's himself. just me saying that. Uh, they found a note written to Maria 
said, my lovely wife, I'll be with you soon. He put pictures of himself and her all over the walls of the shed. There was a note on a table close to where he was found hanging and it said, fuck all those who thought I was guilty. Where's... I'm assuming it's fuck. It was in the newspaper and I know after your incident with the words, it just had F dot dot dot. It can't be anything else but can it? I'll fill in the dots. Fuck all those who thought I was guilty. Where's the justice? No fucking evidence. He left a note to his daughter, Mia, from his first marriage. Uh, He said, Mia, oh, my only daughter, I've loved you and cried for you all my life. It's all about him. Mm. All about him. This was on the day, the day that Maria was... Uh, It was nice to see you and become close again. Please forgive me for leaving you again. Please understand about love. Oh, God, it makes me really sick to have Dejan say it. Look up to see if there's video of him singing to the media. No, there's not. No, but there is lots of pictures. Uh, He says to his daughter, please understand about love. I found it and lost it with Maria. Stupid me. A toxicology report showed he had an alcohol reading of 0.15. Well, that's quite high. Mm, Cheers. Just a couple of other tidbits. Uh, Tanya Herman implied in 2013, so she'd been in jail for eight years at that point, she applied for permission to marry a fellow inmate by the name of Nicole Musket. She was released on parole in 2014. She served just over eight years. Um, Maria's daughter had Joe cut out of her mother's will, otherwise he would have got a $300,000 payout. Mm-hmm. Joe's brother and sister-in-law, Gust and Patricia Corp, had taken photos of Maria when she was in a coma. And I remember this. They tried to sell them to the media. What? So Laura, um, Maria's daughter, got a legal injunction to prevent any uh, outlets from publishing them. Uh, Tanya always blamed Joe for manipulating her into doing it. She said she didn't want to go through with the plan. My thought on that is if she didn't want to do it, if she was pushed in to do it, it was four days between when she dumped the car. She could have when, told someone. Exactly. Just yeah. one phone call. That's yeah. all she had to do. So Anonymously I even it. to a police station. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't believe her. I think that's after the fact she's saying that. I think she yeah. wanted her dead just as much as he did. Um, and when she was asked by detectives if she had any ill feelings towards Maria, she said, no, nope, I never met the woman. I never knew her. Isn't that incredible? Mm. Never seen her in a life and tried to kill her. Uh, um, I just, and, yeah, having the guts to crouch down in someone's garage and mm. just jump up and... I do think he was very manipulative. Yes. But she didn't have to do any of that. Uh, and one final thing, and you'll love this, the car in which Marie was found was put up for sale on eBay Bids started at $9,500. The ad said it had been meticulously maintained. The upholstery and carpet is as new and unmarked. Um, Previous owner, Joe Corp. And it was for sale with a roadworthy certificate. Needless to say, eBay pulled it down. And the seller, James T of Bendigo, had not received any bids. It's the body in the boot. It's an awful story. Mm. Um, okay, on the feedback, we've got Leon, and he says, Hi, ladies, I'm going to do a total 180 here, and rather than... Excuse me, where's the nice stuff, nice stuff? Doesn't he start with that? I'm, I'm sorry, but... No, I'm he put it at the end. He oh, put okay. it at the end. All right, good. Sorry. Um, and rather than drop you a line about death, I'm going to give you a quick thanks during a birth. My wife and I welcomed our third bundle of joy... 
um, bundle of joy when she's sleeping. On the 5th of November, my wife was induced on Saturday afternoon. And after a few days of hell, baby Brooklyn Elsie was born at 7.24 p.m. on Monday night. Is this our first Dead Bodies podcast, baby? I think it is. is. This is a round of applause. How lovely. I just want to thank you both for getting me through the long days and even longer nights waiting for our bub to arrive. When my wife rested and slept, I would lay on the hard floor, head propped up on the baby bag and listen to your podcast from start Very inappropriate for the maternity (laughs) ward. Isn't it? Mostly (laughs) enthralled, but always trying to mask my laughter at your sense of humour and the way you interact with each other while trying not to wake my wife. Baby Brooklyn certainly didn't want to come into this world and made that known by stopping breathing. (gasps) And consequently, midwives having to call a code blue for resuscitation. All went well and she was fine after about four minutes. She is perfectly healthy and an absolute baby dream. No. Yeah. That's the most terrifying thing. I had that with my darling Bonnie. Did you? Yeah, she was four months old. I held her and she stopped breathing. Well, he and says, they all have to rush in and it's the it, and it comes back to me all the time. He says, nice things, nice things, nice things. Oh, good, thank you. Keep up the good work. Like, oh, sorry, that was more nice things. Um, thank you for helping to bring baby Brooklyn into the world. Oh, oh and he enclosed a picture of baby Brooklyn. We'll put that up on our socials. I know. Is that, that awkward lovely. to have a baby up under the... No, he's happy to share. Everyone wants to see a baby. Okay. What? Oh, you mean amongst all the severed arms and things? Yeah. Why not? Okay. Light and shade. Life's all about light and shade. Hmm. This is from Melissa on our Facebook page. Hi, Chanel and Didi. Nice stuff, nice stuff, nice stuff, smiley face. Great start. Melissa, uh, love the podcast. Oh, honestly. Nice things, nice things. Just all the nice things. Um, Let me see. I will skip all the nice things. Uh, we got to talk about Chanel's dead body hiding spot. Oh, Chanel. she mad? I'm disappointed, oh, no, says Melissa. Some people might have been. After all this build-up. I know. I thought it would be a super amazing spot I know. that no one had thought of. I knew people would think this. I don't want to claim it's not a great spot. However, I reckon it's possible somebody would find the body. I've been listening to the Happy Face podcast. Oh, what's that? I haven't heard of that. Neither. About the Happy Face serial killer. And guess oh. what? One of his victims was thrown off the side of the road in the middle of nowhere and the body was still found. They visit the site and all agree it's so remote that you would have no reason to stop there, but someone still did to take a scenic photo of an apparently not so scenic <sighs> area. And what are that the chances found one the fucker goes there to take a photo? In short, I. Pardon? That's what I'd say when I when they get pulled in and the homicide detectives go, what do you have to say? And I'd go, what are the chances that some fucker stopped there to take a photo? Well, Melissa says, in short, I don't think the perfect place exists. It's only a matter of time before they're found. Better start brainstorming a new spot. She is right, but I can think of several people that haven't been found. Her, I get, well, there, definitely, yeah. Bung Siraboon? Yes. Never been found. Yes. And he was surely not that was who was that? Was that that Mr. That was the schoolgirl. Yeah, but do we still know we don't know who took her? No, don't know who took her, don't know where she is. Hmm. So there must be good spots. Yeah. I know. Have we done enough, Kirsten? That's probably enough. We don't want to tie you with our long episodes. We do have more feedback to share, but you'll have to wait for the next episode for that. Yay! Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.